When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Good Morning America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Rebecca Wolf is the author of All of This, A Memoir of Death and Desire. By the way, I could not put this book down. I was literally walking around my house, flipping pages and walking down the street reading it. It was so good. 
Rebecca Wolf has worked as a writer since her teens, contributing to numerous publications, websites, and anthologies, most notably her own award-winning personal blog, Girls Gone Child, which attracted millions of unique visitors worldwide. As well as launching her own successful blog and writing weekly columns for Babbel.com, Mom.me, and Quiet Revolution, her essays have appeared on Refinery29, Huffington Post, Parenting, and more. She currently authors the bi-weekly column Sex and the Single Mom on Romper.com. She's the author of Rockabye, From Wild to Child, and the newly released best-selling memoir, All of This, A Memoir of Death and Desire. She lives in Los Angeles with her son and three daughters. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss all of this, a memoir of death and desire. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Of course, now I want to pronounce it differently because as it was said in the book, it's more like you have to write about all of this, right? Like mm-hmm. all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so I know. It's like a different emphasis. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you summarize the book a little bit? And then I'm going to dive in because I just absolutely loved it. First of all, thank you so much. So all of this is a book about my experience navigating my husband's death, which he found out he was terminally ill weeks after we had decided to split up. So I was in a very unhappy marriage for years. Finally was ready to say I, you know, ready ready to leave my marriage. And then he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. So as you can imagine, it was very complicated. I'd come to a point in our relationship where I could barely even be in the same room with him. We weren't speaking when he found out he was, uh, he had stomach aches. I wouldn't even take him to the ER because it was, we were basically, it, it was, I, I was so done. I, I, I truly, you know, had so little love for him left that when he got sick, I didn't even think, you know, I was, I was like, you're on your own, man. And then he had called me from the hospital to tell me that he had cancer um, that it was terminal, that it was uh, had already metastasized in his liver and lymph nodes. And, you know, I got that call like four in the morning and my parents came up and I rushed to the hospital and I spent, you know, the last four months of his life with him. And my experience navigating that was very complicated. I didn't want to be with him anymore. I didn't want him to die. I didn't want my children not to have a father, but for years I had spent you know, I, I was trying to figure out a way out of my marriage. I was miserable. I was trying to make it work. I had finally gotten to a point where I was like going to be active in the ending of my marriage. And then he gets sick and dies. So, you know, in the, in the weeks and months that passed after his death, my feelings were complicated. I had grief. I was sad, but I also felt relief. I was free of my marriage. These were all feelings that I didn't know how to metabolize because I didn't have any examples of other women going through this, other people going through this. People were bringing me books about widowhood. There's a lot of incredible books about about grief and widowhood, none of which felt like my experience. I, you know, you, you mentioned the title before and, and the title came from my husband as he was dying saying, you have to write about all this when I die. And I, I kind of, you know, in my head, originally I wanted to tell the story of his death and and my experience navigating that, but I wanted to do so through a filter that protected him, which was how I wrote all my life. I've been writing personal essays since my teens. I had a blog for many years called Girls Gone Child. I've written about my life for my whole life but through a filter that protected everyone that I love, sometimes at my own expense, as we often do. And 
for me, you know, and I, a lot of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't here, but it was also going through th- this experience made me realize how important the truth was. My entire marriage was built on lies. I cheated on him my whole marriage. The foundation of our relationship was built on this sort of idea that I was okay with being a wife, which I wasn't. I got pregnant really early. I was 23. We barely knew each other. And I sort of had, you know, built the, the foundation of our marriage and our whole, whole relationship was just me trying to placate everyone and make everyone happy. And after he died, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to tell the truth. And I don't, it was, it was also, it felt urgent for me to tell the story that I didn't have knowing that what my experience was could not be anomalous, right? Like I know a lot of women in unhappy marriages. I know a lot of people who are having affairs. I know a lot of people who are in, were in my situation before my husband got sick. And I know there are a lot of people who are going through or grieving complicated deaths with partners. And it's not all heartbreaking. There's relief there and there's freedom and all those feelings are so valid. And you know, I just, with this book, I really wanted to not only validate my experience, but other people's as well. So no, keep going. That was amazing. (laughs) No, I loved it. You know, there's so much in the book and your parenthood also, and being a mom and how you became a mom and your relationship, particularly with your older son and how the three of you sort of became this unit. And then the three of you were there at the very end as well. And how you came sort of full circle and you have that whole full circle back yeah, it sort of runs throughout. And even how you take ownership of your body again after, I mean, there's a lot of physical stuff about you in the book too, not just like sexual or sexuality stuff, but even just like the inner sort of shedding of this layer that you go into. And it's like this purging after the fact of your emotion and like this prior life is sort of like coming out from the inside out for you too. And the way you wrote about it was just like, oh my God, you're so engrossing and beautiful. And you just feel like, I feel like as a reader, I just went through the whole thing with you and feel that sense of like relief, not relief, but just like new opportunity that was there and how you like grabbed it. So anyway, talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, yes, so much of this book, this book is really, well, first of all, I think this book, and I talked about this before, and it took me a minute, it's been out for a couple of months, and it took me a minute to sort of realize that this book is actually a love story. It's a love story about me and Hal. It's a love story about me and myself, um, me and my children. I think, you know, the concept of love stories, you know, the idea of love story, it's supposed to look very specific where two people end up together. They're in love. They're together forever, happily ever. All these things that we think of when we think of love stories. But the reality is that most love is messy and complicated and there's disdain and resentment and there's, you know, there's, there's pain and there's pleasure and there's blood and guts and death and sex and, and all of these things. And I really feel like, you know, for me going through his death and sort of this like afterlife, I've sort of fallen in love with myself, but also sort of fallen in love with my marriage from afar only because it, it was this we so much came out of that relationship. And I think when you're when you're miserable in your marriage, you you know, it was hard for me at the time to really 
to really find the good in it. I mean, I was trying so hard in the end to, to find it. And, and sort of after I wrote this book, I really, I mean, it was like, it was releasing hell, but also sort of honoring the fact that we, we had this weird relationship that was, we were told was totally mismatched and we didn't make any sense, but there was love there. We had these four amazing kids and yeah, while he was dying and I, I was basically bleeding nonstop. I had this, this period that wouldn't end. And I, one of those people. And I think a lot of women are like this, where like, we keep things together on the outside. Right. And then like our bodies just are telling the story. So I was like incredibly stoic throughout his death, making everything happen. I had to take care of a a dying husband, four children, navigate all these things. I was just completely on autopilot. And my body was like, oh no, you're at war. So I was bleeding the whole time he was dying. And especially at that, at the, at the end, it was like, my body was just completely falling apart. And, you know, in the weeks and months after I was still bleeding and I appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of people were like, why are you writing about your blood? But for me, it was that shedding. It did feel like it was this, it was this very sort of poetic physical experience, especially because on the outside, I was just like going, you know, just like making it work. Like, what do you have to do today? And my body was like, and in the aftermath, you know, we hadn't, you know, we hadn't had sex in years as I think a lot of people have that experience when they're in an unhappy marriage. And so really the first thing I wanted to do after he died was have sex. And it wasn't even about like, it was more of a like primal body reaction to, I think, being around someone when their life force leaves them, which I don't think is specific to partners, probably were rare, actually. But I know a lot of people who had that experience when they've lost parents or friends is this sort of need to sort of feel your life force. Because when you're with someone and their life force leaves their body, there's sort of this am I alive? Like, how am I here? It's like this sort of surreal thing that you even have a body. And I became hyper aware of my body as his was shutting down. The fact that I had one, the fact that I'd spent years feeling self-conscious about it, about my blood, about my the way my body looked, about the way my body changed as I got older. And, you know, when you're around someone who dies really quickly and you see how fast your body goes from being a body to something else, you know, I, I suddenly became so aware of all of it, of like sensations and things that I felt and like what was happening and like just different ways my body looked and felt and, 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 and became so tactile and wanting to just like touch people and be touched. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of went for it. Like pretty soon after he died, I started having sex and dating and wanting to connect casually with people and, and have sort of these connections that were all body that were purely physical. Meanwhile, I was still still bleeding. So that was like a whole thing too. It was like basically getting to a point, like I'd been self-conscious about like my period with, you know, in like sexual situations forever and like getting to this point where I was like, this is my body, you know, like I'm just, I'm in it. This is what's happening to it right now. This is where I'm at. And that was, you know, really liberating. (laughs) I love the scene in the kitchen when you had gone on one date with a woman who made you that little certificate, like congratulations, and you burst into tears, and then you put it on the fridge, and your daughter's like, okay, so you're pan now? That's what's going on here? And you're like, I don't know, I think, you know, and she's like, yeah, that's it. Okay, next. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it's interesting because a lot of people are, you know, the first question I get about this book is like your kids. And when your kids think, and like, I mean, you read the book, like I, I talk very uh, candidly with my children about everything we've been talking. There's nothing in this book that they're not aware of. I mean, maybe not like the details of like my periods, but you know, I, I don't have a lot of shame or, or judgment for myself. And, you know, we sort of have this very open communication. So, so yeah. So as all this was happening and I was, you know, communicating with my children age appropriately, like, yeah, there were, there were moments where I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about this. And my kids were like, it's this blah. And then they, you know, like they sort of, it was, it was, it was never, it was like sort of like these things that I thought would be big deals to talk to them about ended up being like, ah, yeah whatever, like joint, you know, you're not special. I think your kids must be the coolest after I read this book. They just must be the coolest kids ever. And I love so many moments that you write about are the regular moments of parenting. And I don't want to overstress the parenting because that's sort of like, you know, just one piece of this, but you know, just the, how crazy it is after loss that life goes on and that they're still throwing Cheerios in the back seat, and you still have to get them to theater camp and do all the yeah. pickups and, and deal with, you know, people who were being like, I don't know, Barney or whoever you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well-intentioned other people whose responses are not aligned with how you feel. Yeah. Kids have to also. Well, it was interesting because the fourth anniversary of his death is was this week, like a few days ago. Um, it was right before Halloween. And my kids ended up, they wanted to go to school the day after he died. Like they went to school that day. And everyone, of course, knows that they lost their dad. And it's a sort of elephant in the room. And I wanted to be there with them when they came into school to sort of protect them from any, just, just, just so that they felt like I was with them. And it happened to be the Halloween parade when we went back to school and everyone is in costumes and it's death. It's like this death parade, which to me, I mean, it was, it's sort, it was an incredible time to die. Like note to self die right before Halloween, because it, it feels like everyone understands how you're feeling. It's sort of this, this Halloween is this wonderful sort of grief party. And so it's like, we, we come back to school after he dies and there's just, everyone's in costume. My kids are in costume, like nothing, you know, not, nothing has happened, but it's like this show must go on sort of thing. And the surreality of standing on the sidelines after just spent four months in a hospital, watching someone die and just seeing these kids march down in their costumes, including mine and waving and hi mom. And I mean, to me, it like gives me so much peace to know that if I were to die tomorrow or that, that they would be okay too. I think there's this part of, of losing a spouse or being around children who've lost a parent young. And of course there's grief and of course there's trauma, but you also realize how resilient children are, how we are, that we're actually like, we're supposed to lose each other. Like it's, it's in our bodies to know how to handle this, right? Like death has been a part of life since, you know, forever. So watching the way children sort of metabolize death and how they stay joyful and they stay sort of in the moment. And, you know, it was just, it was really helpful for me just navigating all the different feelings I was having. And also like giving myself permission to feel joy. You're like, my kids lost their dad a day before and they could not be more excited to be marching in a parade. So we look at, at adults and if I was sort of doing the same thing, I was in a parade of my own, right? That doesn't mean that I wasn't still having all the, the feelings of, of sadness and, you know, anger and all the things that come up when someone dies. But I also was in that, in my own sort of parade. And 
I think a lot of people feel like they have to be performative and their grief and they have to sort of bow their head and look sad for a year after somebody dies and hide their joy and hide their relief and hide their, you know, dating relationships because they don't want people to judge them. But do we do that with children? No. So we just need to be be kinder to each other. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. By the way, I now feel honored because I, I, was, I did notice the dates of it, everything happening. And you also said how many things happened in fours related to this book, right? He was 44. Yes. He was in the hospital for four months. You have four kids. All, and now it's been four years. Oh, yeah. So I just feel like it's like this perfect. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's funny. I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. Four is like, that was the number and it's yeah. Four years. Crazy. Crazy. Well, I, first of all, I'm so sorry. I should have said this from the start. I'm just so sorry this whole thing happened, that all of it happened. But that's so reductive because obviously so much, there's just so many emotions around the entire thing. And is, do you mind if I just read a couple of my favorite lines? Oh my gosh, I'd be okay? honored. There are so honored. many that I, sometimes it takes me a minute to find no, it. I appreciate, Hold on one sec. appreciate it. Oh, well, there was this this one passage towards the beginning, but I'm going to go towards the end too. So maybe this is going to take me too long, but this is about when we find out people that... It, it happened like this. One day he was fine. The next day he was dying. We were barely speaking when his first symptoms appeared, our marriage in shambles. Backs turned to each other in a big bed, enough to keep us from touching. You hear stories about this kind of thing happening all the time. You know, the one about the friend of a friend. It was the epitome of health. And then one day, I have done this before countless times. Someone I knew at one point in my life gets sick or dies. And suddenly, I can't believe we ever lost track of each other. I think of the time we were best friends for a summer or a weekend or during a school dance. Someone I'm pretty sure I had English with. Immediately, there's a flurry of texts with old high school friends. And can you believe so-and-so died so young? Remember when we all smoked cigs together when we were supposed to be running the mile? And isn't it's just so tragic, isn't it? So unbearably sad. And then I grieve as if we had never lost touch, marveling at the impossible distance, the time that came and went, and all that was lost in the years we didn't connect, all the could-haves and the might-haves and the maybes. How easy it is to lose track of people, I think. How easy it is to lose people. How easy it is to lose. Oh, so good. 
So, and you, so many people can relate, you know, everybody has that person, right? And when you have that deep connection, uh, and here's another one about your marriage and the way you wrote about your marriage and frankly, all of the stuff that's happened to you with men. Like, I feel like this is a therapist's sandbox, this book. It's like, okay, let's connect all these dots and see where we got from here to there. Well, because I also, I think it is all really connected, all of yes. it. Like it's, yes. and again, like with a title too, like this, this is our relationships. It's like, I, I, I'm able to better understand who I am as a woman because of my marriage. And I'm better able to understand who I was as a wife because of my teens, because of my early, you know what I mean? Like I, I this really was sort of a place for me to connect all of the different you know, experiences and to understand how I got here. So sorry, go ahead. No, no, don't apologize. I want you to talk. (laughs) You said in the beginning, when we were both struggling equally, we were okay. And I guess I just assumed if we could make it with nothing, we would always be able to make it just like our parents and our friends and all the many married people in our lives. If they could stay together for the kids, so could we. I was conditioned to believe that as a mother who placed her children's worth above all else, I was doing them a favor. By martyring myself, I was giving my kids the ultimate gift, my happiness in exchange for theirs. Our marriage was a tourniquet I didn't think we could live without. I had convinced myself that loss of circulation in my limbs was a small price to pay, that my options were to bleed out or lose the feeling in my legs. I had become proficient in the poetry of acceptance. I mean, it's like amazing. It's just like the way you rethink all this thing, even how you were discussing, I've never read someone talk about the color, like making death into a rainbow of sorts, right? Where at the end you said somewhere over the rainbow, red, the color of urine, orange, the color of eyeballs, yellow, the color of skin, green, the color of vomit, blue, the color of bruising, purple, the color of feet so swollen, they crack like eggs. Oh, I mean the the there and that's sort of the thing I like this is this is this is what this book is about but this is also sort of where I'm at right now in my life in terms of perspective is that there is beauty in all of it right and there's pain in all of it and we're so binary and we have no imagination when it comes to having conversations about any of this stuff about sex about death about love you know, love lives over here and and hate lives over here. And we create these contradictions where there aren't any. Everything is connected and it's all mixed up. And it's, you know, so is grief. And my experience was not abnormal at all. And yet people were treating me like it was. I mean, they're not anymore because I wrote this book about it. And I, you know, I hear every day (laughs) from people who are either like, oh my God, this is my story too. Or people are like, I don't understand you, which is fine. But there are a lot of us this is not just me. And, but the fact that this is not a common story is a problem because there's nothing wrong with the parade, right? There's nothing wrong with having all of the feelings. In fact, like we do ourselves such a disservice by just basically performing where we feel like we need to perform and hiding where we feel like we need to hide. And we do it all day long. We do it as mothers. We do it as wives. We do it as, you know, as daughters. We do it as like, we don't allow ourselves to have the full experience and to have all the different feelings. It's all complicated. 
everything is valid. You know, the, the, the rainbow of death, like it's, it's beautiful and painful. And, and so is marriage and, and so is motherhood and just being a person. It's just, it's all hard and giving ourselves permission to feel and to exist without shame for the feelings that we have while we're existing. You know, that's my goal. That's like what I want for me. It's what I want for my children. It's what I want for everyone. And, you know, it's really what I tried to articulate in this book. So amazing. You have a lot to say about infidelity and what being in the wrong marriage can do to you and how sometimes the people who end up cheating are the ones trying to escape something that's that's deeply wrong or unsatisfying or whatever and have, feel they are completely trapped. And interestingly, Hal's like final words were that he was felt trapped himself when you were actually the one who was feeling trapped for so long. And then you have a line, and maybe I responded in particular because I am divorced and I have four kids. And so I don't know. You said that some of the most brave women I know are divorced not just yeah. widowed. So well, no, I, yeah, that. totally. I, it's, I said the bravest women I know aren't widows, they're divorced. Yes. And I, it's true because, you know, the end of my marriage obviously was passive. I didn't leave. He did. Right. Like I, I wanted to, I had plans to, I'd finally told him that I was going to, but I didn't. And there's a part of me that's like, would I have? I mean, yes, I would have. I was get, I was at the point where I, I like had no choice, but maybe I wouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe I would still be married. And so there was a lot that I went through when he died where I felt like if I couldn't leave my marriage and there was no... Now I really realize there, there was no reason why I shouldn't. How many women like me aren't leaving their marriages? How many women like me are, are wanting to do this and can't do it? There's a lot. There's a lot. It's hard. It's really hard. And I know because I wanted a divorce for the majority of my marriage and wouldn't, wouldn't leave. So when I hear about women leaving, when I hear about women who were able to do what I could not, I'm in awe. I'm truly in awe because I wrestled with that so hard. And I think of myself as being such a, like a tough, strong, modern woman. And yet I, it was like the, it was, it was paralyzing for me to just, to imagine, just to all of the things that it wasn't have a model to me. There's no divorce in my family. There's like, it just felt if it was, it was overwhelming to me. So I, the, the women that I know and, you know, of a, of a large community of single mom friends now, all of whom left their marriages, all of them, it was all the women who left every single one. And yeah, they're all, they're all amazing to me. I just, I just think women are amazing. And I feel like, you know, because I didn't leave my marriage, I, I also feel like I, I really want to help other women who can't. And I actually had a, a few months back, I started this, this sort of it, on, it sort of went off on on like it became this huge thing, but it it started just as a simple question to women, knowing that so many women had reached out to me saying, "I wish I could leave my husband and I can't." And so I reached out to my community on Instagram and I said, "You know, those of you who've left your marriages, do you have any advice to give for people who are trying to do the same?" And I got like hundreds of responses. And then it just completely blew up. And then there was like women volunteering to do pro bono work. I'm in Portland. I can help you. I'm here. And it became this whole thing where I was like hooking people up from different States. And then women were meeting each other and finding each other. And, and if you, if you check my Instagram stories, it's called how I left. And there's like 10 of them, how I left one, how I left two. And there's 
stories from women. Some, most of them are anonymous and I cropped their, you know, names out to, for everyone's safety, but stories of how they left advice for women trying to leave people volunteering their services. It was incredible. It was incredible. And this was several months ago. And I've had people sort of sporadically reaching out to me saying, Hey, just, you know, my door is just finalized. And I would not have left if I didn't have the resources that, you know, those stories presented. So on the other side of miserable marriage, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. It's like when you get, when you're on the other side of that and you're like, Oh my God, like I'm alive and I'm here. And, and, and I, I, I walk into my home and I'm not like dreading it. And I can be like, there's so many things that I, I didn't even realize I was suffering from or through that. I don't have to worry. Like I, you know, my house feels safe. Like all these things that I didn't know were possible. I didn't even know how bad it was until it was over. And I just like, I just want that for everybody. I just, I, I, because we all deserve that. We deserve to be happy and we deserve to feel, you know, alive. And whether, you know, that comes because of a death or a divorce or anything, I mean, it's cliche, life is short and, and we, we only have one body and that body is aging every day. I don't know how much longer mine's going to work. I hope it works for a long time, but also I don't take for granted my health and I know how fast it can change. And I just don't, I don't want to, you know, not be joyful and in my power and my body and pleasured and all these things. I won't anymore. It's amazing. Thank you so much. I feel like there's so much more to discuss. I had 8,000 things I wanted to talk to you about because <laughs> I literally was, this is one of those books that I was like walking. I wouldn't even put down, like walking from room to room, like could not put this book down. So good. I Thank really, you. really loved it. I love the way you write. And um, as I said, I wish that Zibby Books had published this book. It's so good. Oh, anyway, <laughs> I hope I get to meet you at some point. Are you still yeah, there? Same. Yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah. Let me know when you when you come out. We'd love okay. to meet you. Awesome. Well, congratulations. And I'm Thank sorry you. it took us a while to talk about no, it. No, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. It was so great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.